The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right. Let's pray as uh, we ask God for help. Let's come before his word together. Father, you brought us here this morning. We're here together, Lord. Now we get to open your scriptures. Lord, remind us, show us that these are the very words of God. Lord, that these words last forever, that we will be judged by these words. Lord, also show us that these words are our freedom. They point to Jesus and what he's done. And uh, they are love, love for you, love for our neighbor, that in Christ, Lord, we can be counted as if we always kept these words and, and learn to love, uh, love these words and to live by them. So we pray you do that work in us, Lord. Even now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So can you remember a time when someone lied about you? Spread accusations about you that just weren't true. And uh, you knew other, at least some other people were believing that. It hurts, doesn't it? It's painful. Okay, but have you ever misrepresented someone else in how you've spoken about them? Have you ever shaded your words a little to make yourself look a little better? someone else look a little worse, or maybe just to get a little tiny revenge on someone else that maybe you have a grudge against. Here's one of the biggest lies ever spoken, right? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. It's simply not true. Ideas have consequences, and words can kill. They kill. Lies about God, they can kill. They kill our relationships. They break trust, kill somebody's name, somebody's reputation. So we're going through the 10 commandments. We're almost finished. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And this command is just so massively important, so rich and so deep, easily could be a month of messages. We're gonna hit highlights as we can this morning. I wanna see four things with you. Number one, foundations of this command. Why is this so important? Just a little of that. Number two, some implications of this command. So we'll think about this command in context, and then we're just going to try to be honest and think about ways we break it, okay? Number three, by then you'll be ready for this, <laughs> how Jesus fulfills this command, how he kept it, how he saves us, how he changes us, and that'll take us to number four, just some ways we follow him in keeping this command. So that's what we wanna look at now. Number one, the foundations of this command. So I think you can imagine right away, you know right away, you don't like it when people lie about you, right? I mean, you know that. Um, you, can, you can imagine right away that to have a civil society at all, 
you've got to have some sort of integrity to keep contractual agreements, to communicate truth. And so I think we can see right away just how important this is for human relationships, human societies. But I just want to remind us that the Ten Commandments, especially those commands six to 10, right? They're about love for your neighbor, but they're not ultimately about just moral principles for their own sake. It's not just don't lie because that hurts people sometimes. It's far more than that. These commands are about God. And that's one reason we read all of these verses every week. You know, we could have just had somebody come up and read, you shall not uh, bear false witness and sit down. Amen. And that would be fine. But if you remember verses one to two, God said, God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. How come you're not supposed to bear false witness? Because there's a God. Because he speaks. Because he saves. That's why. And so you start thinking about that, and then you realize just some fundamental things about God. Isn't it true If there's a God and there is, isn't it true if there's one God who's created all things? He is the truth. And all truth flows from him. God is ultimate reality. All truth, lesser truths point to him. He is truth. And then the biblical God, of course, swears that his word is true and perfectly true. God is truth. His word is true. When he speaks, it's his love that communicates the truth of who he is and how he's designed things. And in his strength and his character, we know his word is true. And we should fear it. And we should trust it because this is reality. Look at how Paul writes in Titus chapter one, verse two. Paul says, we're living in hope of eternal life, which God, and I just wanna draw your attention to that next phrase, which, which God who what? Never lies, promised before the ages began. I mean, just think of our hope. We saw a baptism. And this hope, uh, this knowledge, I'm a sinner. How do we know? Well, mainly God has told me. But God loves me. How do I know? Mainly God has told me. I can know I'm forgiven if I repent of my sin and trust Jesus Christ and what he's done. How do I know? God has told me. Is it true? It's true. God is truth. His word is true. You know, just one implication here when it comes to lying. Wouldn't you agree lying is fundamentally a weakness? It's a weakness. Why did you lie when you lied? Somehow you were covering a weakness. There was a mistake, you tried to cover it. There's a failure, you didn't want people to see it. You wanted to be better than you actually are, so you you painted it. Uh, you, you want to be seen in a different light, so you manipulated it. You lied because you're weak. I lie because I'm simultaneously weak and prideful. It's pathetic, isn't it? I mean, when you lie, you should, you should see something about yourself. Number one, 
You're so pathetic. <laughs> I love you, right? I'm with you. I'm not insulting you. When we lie, we're so pathetic that we would abuse language. The vehicle for us to communicate to one another, we would abuse language. We would misrepresent and try to change reality itself so that we could control this world and make ourselves look better than we actually are. Do you see the simultaneous, these threads of weakness? I've got to cover it up because I'm, I've, I've failed. I'm lacking. I messed up. I've got to cover it up. And I can and will by changing reality with my words. It's this horrible weakness. And then we realize God has no weaknesses. <laughs> he, he has no need to manipulate anything or cover up anything, or pretend something different than it is. No, he only and always deals in absolute truth. And that is one reason we love him, and it's also one reason sometimes we hate him very much. He tells the truth. Isaiah 45, 19, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your word, everything added up, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Friends, God's word is truth. He spoke reality into existence by his word. His word defines reality. His word will catch up with you. You will find that it is true. It lasts forever. So just by the way, if some of you are like, I've got problems here, because what about the contradictions in the Bible? What about the mistakes in the Bible? If you have questions like that, I would love to talk with you about that. I would love to talk with you about that. But here, if I could just prod you a little bit, make sure you don't use your questions about the Bible as an excuse to not take the Bible seriously. You see what I mean? Sometimes people have questions and they're like, well, I've just got a lot of doubts and so therefore it can't be true. Did you seek out any answers to those questions? Because until you seek out answers, it's just an excuse. And then you've got to ask yourself again, what? You might be lying to yourself. And, and some, sometimes the reason some people won't come to the scriptures is because they know they're going to get exposed and it breaks the whole lie we've been setting up about who we are and how we live and what we live for. And it's terrifying, right? It's terrifying to have the lie we set up about ourselves broken. But let me just remind you that on the other side of that, there's grace. We're gonna get to that. There's love we don't deserve. It sets us free to tell the truth. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, God is true God is a truth, his word is true. So for Christians, nothing should be more important to us than the truth. Nothing should be more important to us than the truth. Some of you might say, well, what about love? And I would ask you, well, how do you know love is important? Because it's the truth. <laughs> That's what God said. How do you know what love is? How to love someone that comes from the truth of who God is and what he said. So we should love truth. Now think of the flip side. As the source of truth, if that's true, how does God feel about lies? 
Proverbs 12, 22, look at this. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. What's abomination mean? Anybody know? It's something like he really doesn't like it. <laughs> That's not strong enough. He hates it. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Those who act faithfully are his delight. Those with integrity. So, you know, on our theme today, other, other than a lie to save someone's life, nearly, other, nearly every other lie is just God denying. It's God denying. Because you're saying, I don't, I don't submit to at reality as it is, and in that, God, I don't submit to you, and I don't submit to what you've said to me. I, I want to actually take your place here in this lie. So we, like we've said, it's foolish pride there, but also most of the time, right, are you lying because of love for your neighbor? Couple, there's a couple places in the Bible where people who lie are exonerated, but that's because they were protecting people about to be murdered by someone else. So you, you, can, you can lie to protect someone who's about to be murdered by someone else. But nearly every other time, it's not love for neighbor. And we know, right? We know, don't you know? Relationships are ruined by lies. When people don't, when we don't tell the truth or when we speak things inappropriately, love disintegrates. There's enmity, there's distance, there's brokenness. Lies are devastating. They don't honor God, they don't love our neighbor. In fact, the more we think of this, we realize every one of our problems has come from our prideful embrace of the lie. Think of, think of how Genesis, the first book in the Bible works. God creates the heavens and the earth. It's good, makes Adam and Eve, male and female in his image. It's good, they're one flesh together. Uh, it's good, it's beautiful. And then Satan enters the garden, right? And what's he do? What's his, what is the, f- the first and ultimate tool of the devil himself, when evil comes to visit, what does he do? He lies. Remember? It's that threefold lie, just to sum it up. Number one, God's not good. He lies about God. Number two, God's word's not true. You can't trust it. Number three, this is what happens when you believe the first two, replace him. Replace him with something else. Replace him with yourself. And so friends, even like our sin at the deepest level, we believed the lie and we became liars. Look at Romans 1.25. This is true about all of us. We exchanged the what? The truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Because if you lie about God and you lie about his ways, you kind of get him out of the way and now you can do what you want, right? Now you can do what you want. And so we see just into the heart of lying, my selfish pride to make reality the way I want it, to do what I want, to invent my world, myself, my way. And so even just that lie we're caught in the truth now, the truth about God. We, we trade that out because that exposes us. It humbles us. It confronts us. It tells us no. It tells us we're not in control. It tells us we need him. So 
again, just thinking about the foundations of this command. God is truth. His word is true. So his people ought to love the truth because our problem is we've bought the lie and God hates lying because it denies him. It doesn't love our neighbor. But of course, the good news is, and you see, you, see, you see it even here in Exodus 20, God saves his people from the lie and calls them to live in his truth. He saves his people out of the lie and calls them to live in his truth. So of course, one of the commands are, now that, now that God is revealing the truth of who he is to you, the truth of how he loves truth, of course, one of his commands is going to be, speak the truth. We are to be truth-speaking people. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right, we've talked about foundations. Now let's talk about implications. How do you live this out? What does it mean? Well, originally, it means to be a true witness no matter the cost. You shall not be a false witness against your neighbor. For ancient Israel, justice would hinge on the witnesses. How do you know if uh, whoever committed a crime? Well, you don't have... DNA testing, you don't have video surveillance. How do you know it happened or not? Witnesses. And so a suspect is assumed to be innocent. You have to have two or three witness, witnesses to provide overwhelming evidence that a crime was committed. And so you can see, right, how there could be pressure to take a bribe, give false witness about the guilty. He gets off the hook crime is unpunished. There's injustice in your community. Or there could be selfish motivation and you could give false witness about the innocent. And so with these false witnesses, society breaks down, right? The powerful dominate the weak, corruption, injustice. So it's essential for this community, God is saving out of slavery, that they would have a, a core of integrity and truth and there would be no false witnesses. Look how serious this is. Deuteronomy 19, 16. Check this out. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. You see what happens? If you falsely accuse someone and it's, ex it's exposed that your accusation was false, you will then receive the punishment they would have received if they were guilty. It's very serious because somebody's name, somebody's life is at stake because we're a people who are supposed to honor the God of truth. So be a true witness, no matter the cost. That's at the original core of this command. But of course, there's so many other implications. Look at Psalm 15, verse one. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He walks blamelessly, does what is right. And what is a person like that like? He speaks truth where? In his heart. And he does not slander with his tongue. What is slander? 
is a false statement damaging to your neighbor's reputation. Who is your neighbor? Anyone you happen to be talking about. Politicians, pastors, anyone? God only knows how much slander is flying around every day and how much of it we're taking it in. And all these media sources we have, tell me social media isn't just like a Petri dish for slander. And you see a hot article, some hot thing somebody said. Do you fact check it? Do you find deep levels of context to make sure you understood exactly what was said and why and how? Or do we post the next thing up and our outrage grows and grows and we are a culture of slander? And God hates it. Not only are we not just supposed to slander with our tongue, I mean, God help me, things I've said about people without, without cause. What about just in our hearts and our minds? I'm guilty. Have you ever assumed the worst about someone without knowing the full story? <laughs> Come on, right? Have you ever not given someone the benefit of the doubt have you ever assumed that people were unfriendly or unloving or unwelcoming or have negative intentions for, against you because they changed lanes the way they did or they didn't smile and say hello the way you wanted them to at that particular moment or they didn't word the email just quite right and now they're just totally, right? And, you, and it's in your heart and you are lying about this person without cause and out of context in your heart and your mind, and it swirls and you have debates with them and you curse them and you insult them. I only know this so well because I've done it. And I'm slandering people in my heart and my mind. It's wretched. God hates it. Just to tie onto that, a third, a third implication is do not create division. The Proverbs 6, 16. And the way Hebrew works is, right, if you get to seven on something, that's like ultimate, that's fulfilled, okay? Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven then are, are an abomination to him, okay? The first, the first six, yeah, he hates them, but what does he really hate in this Hebrew idiom? He hates the seventh one, okay? Six things the Lord hates, verse 17, haughty eyes. Doesn't, doesn't like our pride. Self-righteousness. Second thing, a lying tongue. Third, hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. And look at this, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. He hates it. He hates it. I think this is a real problem in the church at large. We, we find an area of like third level theological disagreement where a Christian could disagree. We hear a line or two from some context we don't fully understand. And before you know it, emails are flying. 
discernment blogs are posting and somebody's a heretic or an enemy of the church and everyone spreads it all around without careful consideration and we feel holy and we feel like we're discerning. And if we're not doing it with care and wisdom or if we're participating in this way to communicate these things, we are slandering and causing division in God's church and God hates it. Does God hate false doctrine? Yes, he hates it. Does God hate it when God's people falsely accuse brothers? He hates it. So we just need to be careful. I'm, I'm feeling so humbled by this idea. Just because we read an article on the internet or hear a story somewhere, that might not mean we're in the place to bring judgment. You think that's possible? Here's, here's a verse that's so important to me, being a pastor, Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right, right? You read one side of the story. Oh, mm, it's gotta be that way. Until the other comes and examines him. There's always at least two sides to the story. And sometimes there's your side, there's my side, and somewhere out there is God's side. And until we really discover with honest truth what God's side might be, do you know you don't have to give your opinion about someone or something? Blowing you away. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light... <clears throat> He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and he will disclose the purposes of the heart. Who discloses the purposes of the heart? The Lord. And he will do it. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. You know, many times we should say, I don't really know enough to speak on that. I don't really know enough about the context to speak on that because we're humbling ourselves to realize God hates slander and division. Matthew 7, 2. <clears throat> Buckle up, everybody, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Ask yourself, how much mercy will I need from Jesus? Ask yourself, now ask yourself, how much mercy do I give? Because the mercy you give is the mercy you'll get. Fourth one, don't gossip or listen to it. Don't gossip or listen to it. What's gossip? What's gossip? Needless reporting of negative things about others. The key word there is needless. Sometimes you have to report negative things about others. Uh, and let's be honest, there are negative things about others. You wouldn't have to look very hard to find negative things about me. Um, we have problems. We have flaws. We make mistakes. We got issues. There it is. You could report it. Unless there's a, a loving need for it, 
The needless reporting of negative things about others is gossip. How do you like it when people gossip about you? It's usually friends and family, right? Other people don't know enough or care enough. It hurts. It breaks relationships. A couple of Proverbs here, Proverbs 18.8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. You know, sometimes I'll go to a conference and they'll have a bowl of peanut M&Ms. And I'm like, I'll just have one. 110, 111. To me, it was like, oh, that's gossip. Hey, did you hear? It's a prayer request, okay? Did you know? Oh, really? Why are you giving a needless report of a negative thing about your brother and your sister? Why did I do that? Look at Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. There's an offense there. Somebody messed up. Somebody didn't do it right. Somebody has, somebody has flaws. Whoever, what's the second word? Covers it. Do you see the difference between gossip and covering it? Like the idea that you would have your neighbor's reputation in mind, and that if it's needless to share it, you're actually going to cover it. You're not going to share it, because that's seeking love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Is that the people we, we want to be? What do you do for fun? I like to break other people's relationships. <laughs> I like other people to feel terrible about other people. Gosh, that's so sinful, right? But doesn't part of you like it? Part of me likes it. Because I feel, what, what, what do you feel when you do it? I feel like, uh, uh, self-righteous probably. Oh man, I'm so guilty about this. Not only is it wrong to speak gossip, it's wrong to listen to it. Gossip can burn down a church It's wrong to speak it, it's wrong to listen to it. Look at Proverbs 17, four. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. What I think is interesting in this proverb is the liar's not speaking. What's the liar doing in this verse? He's listening. When you listen to gossip or to slander and you take it in with interest, you're giving wings to the lie. You become the liar. You become the gossiper when you listen to gossip. So church, here's a, here's a new thing for us, right? In Christ, like let's, I don't, I think you're very kind people. I, for my sake, I don't think we have like a rampant gossip problem. I think you, I think you are very careful with one another in my take. But if we're honest, right? Can you do better, <laughs> right? Can I do better? Let's just not listen to gossip and let's love one another enough to say, when we're talking about what's going on, you know what, I'm not judging you, but I just don't wanna, I don't wanna flirt with gossip here. So here's what you're allowed to gossip about. Anything praiseworthy, anything excellent, anything great somebody else did, any piece of God's grace you love in somebody else's life, you go ahead and you talk about that all day long, okay? 
especially if it's me. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Speak well of one another. Protect one another's relationships and don't gossip. So here's the, uh, here's, here's the last implication. I'm doing implications of this command. Here's the last implication. Look at Matthew 12, 34 to 37. How can you speak good when you are evil? Do you know, do you know Jesus talks this way? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do we talk like this? Because our hearts are evil. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, and listen, listen, God's word will catch up with you. This will occur. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. So you think of that nightmare, right? So, you know, some service from hell. You know, you come up here, and then, like, a recording is played on everything that you said about everyone else, and you have to stand here, you know, and we all, we all hear it, and we're like, dear God, this is, this is horrible, right? We'll never do that as if we could. No, 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 we'll never do it. It will happen on Judgment Day. Have mercy. And so we remember here, the law, the Ten Commandments, is not a ladder to get to God. Right? We had 10 rungs on our ladder. And, and as we're starting to climb, they're all broken. <laughs> We've broken every single one of them. And I've broken this one. Don't try, if you think the way to save yourself is to be a good person, let the law be honest with you and show you you're not a good person. That's not gonna work. God is holy and righteous, is truthful. And even if this was the only command in the Bible, every one of us would know God's just wrath. So we here see our need for Jesus. So the law shows us our need, and it also is a portrait of his beauty because Jesus is the only one ever. The eternal son of God took on flesh. He's the only one ever to perfectly keep each one of these commands. Isn't that marvelous? Let's think about how Jesus fulfills it. Number one, he tells the truth. He always told the truth, John 18, 37. Look at the way he talks about himself. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world. To do what? To bear witness to the truth. He tells the truth. And then he says, everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. In many ways, Jesus was hated for telling the truth. He knows what it's like to have people bear false witness against him. He knows what it's like to be slandered. But what's so great about Jesus is he didn't only come speaking truth because truth alone is just gonna drive over me like a truck. Look at John 1:17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. What is grace? Do you know? Does your heart know? Lavish love for the totally undeserving. 
So you realize you're unrighteous and you don't deserve God's love. You deserve his wrath. And then you're told, but he loves you anyway. It almost feels like a lie. How can it be true? How can God be just and me be unrighteous and him love me? How can this be? Well, Jesus is how it can be. Grace and truth comes together at the cross. Grace and truth comes together at the cross. What's the truth you see at the cross? As you see Jesus on the cross, taking your place, you see the truth of what you deserve. On my own, I deserve God's wrath. You also see the truth of how you are loved because Jesus is taking your place. He took the wrath of God for all the lying. All your lying, he paid the price. So it's deeply honest, it's deeply loving. And you realize now the truth of how you can be forgiven of all your sin, including just the sins of what you have thought and said. Praise God. Can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're convicted by your sin, this is now the invitation, trust in him. He will make you righteous before God. God will see you as if you never lied because you would wear the perfection of Jesus. He will earn your forgiveness. Look what Jesus said, John 14, six. I am the way. And then what else is he? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, because he's the only one that can pay for all your sins. God vindicated who he is and what he did in the resurrection. He's alive, and salvation is found in him and him alone. He fulfills this command, doesn't he? He is the truth. He's grace and truth. Well, that leads us then to just ways we want to live this out. If you're convicted of your sin, then you come to Jesus Christ to save you and make you righteous. Now you will have a changed heart where you will have a love for God's truth and God's ways. And so this then is how we wanna live. Number one, this is how we follow Christ in keeping this command. Look at Ephesians 4.15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. How do we grow into Christ, church? We speak the truth in love. This is just genius. And of course, it's real. Love with no truth is just a wet noodle. There's nothing to it. It's not actually love. Truth without love is a, is a blender. It ruins you. But love and truth, Jesus Christ the truth about him, the truth from his word, that builds us up as God's people. Speak the truth in love. Let's remember what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. I'm reading you this because this is how, this, this should flavor our speech. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
But look at this, verse seven. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What this is saying is that part of love is, tr- is doing your best to think of the best of people and protecting their reputations. That's got to come through in how we talk. Number two, it, number two it's loving to stand for the truth. Uh, Jesus was hated for speaking the truth. And there are things in the Bible this world's going to hate if you speak the truth. I just said Jesus was the only way to the Father. A lot of people don't like that. It's the truth. It's loving to stand for the truth. You have to know that in your heart. For you to really stand for the truth and endure in it, it is loving to stand for the truth. It's not loving to give up on the truth. Just one example, look at Galatians 2.5. Paul here is, is fighting for the gospel that you're saved by faith in Christ alone. That's what Galatians is about. And in Galatians 2.5, Paul says, to them, those who wanted to change the gospel, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so he's, he's, putting up, he's putting up a fight for truth. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You glad you got to hear the gospel? It's loving. Throughout age after age, the church has to hold fast and fight for the truth. To keep the truth. is loving to stand for the truth. Number three, encourage. Ephesians 4.29, it's just going to get a lot quieter, okay? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. You know what, the, you know what corrupt means, right? You're, just, you're going to break things down. You're going to tear things down. How much corrupting talk should come out of your mouth? Only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This is Christ-like communication. The goal is to build up, which means right words with the right motive at the right time in the right way. We got homework this week, don't we? That's how we love. We encourage. We, we speak to build each other up. Last one, and I'm finished. Acts 1.8. As Jesus transforms this command... To not just don't do harm to your neighbor and how you speak, but to do good to your neighbor and how you speak. Look at this, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and, Jer- and Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria to the end of the earth. We are to be witnesses for who Jesus Christ is. Not just in how we talk in general, but in how we speak of him. Are you loving your neighbor and telling somebody out there about Jesus and what he's done to save them? This is how we follow Christ in this command. So anyway, church, we'll close with this. God is the God of truth. He is truth. His word is true. And he saves us through the one who brings grace and truth, Jesus Christ. So because he saved us, truly saved us, we want to honor him and his truth and how we love our neighbor. May this be us, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth, Lord. Thank you for the spirit who gives us humility to listen to it. We confess ways we've broken it. We've loved the lie. We've lived in the lie. We've slandered. We've brought division. We've gossiped. God, please forgive us. Please forgive us. 
Give us a higher esteem, Lord, for you, your truth, your word, and your son who truly gave himself up for us so that we could be forgiven, right with you, adopted as your children. Help us to love you truly from the heart and live in such a way that we show the world how wonderful you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.